What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This is Understanding Today's Narcissist. Brought to you in part by PsychCentral.com. And now, here's your host, Christine Hammond. A couple months ago, I had a client come into my office. He was obviously arrogant, uh, very full of himself, came in telling me about how much money he made, literally within the first couple of minutes of having met him. He had a way about him, very charming personality, very pleasant to be around. However, um, he was determined to let me know that he was in charge of every part of the session and what was going on. It became very apparent very quickly that he was a narcissist. But then there was something else that I discovered as we kept going on in the session. There was something hidden that he had kept from everybody in his life, his spouse, his employer, and that was that he was also an alcoholic. His alcoholism had taken over his life to the point that it was literally destroying it. And he was going to be in very bad trouble if he didn't get help soon and quickly. One of the hardest types of people to deal with is a narcissist in the middle of their addiction. They are completely exhausting to work with. The combined selfishness of narcissism and the addictive behavior is overpowering, relentless, callous, and frequently abusive, especially to those who are closest to them. This destructive blend of arrogant thinking and that they are always right and that they do not have a problem leads to some very devastating consequences. There are many parts to the addictive narcissist on their road to recovery, and the point of this is to recognize their injurious behavior so that more reasonable expectations can be set by loved ones who are working with somebody who's like this. So this podcast, by intention, is designed for people who are living with, working with, or surrounded by a narcissist who is in the middle of their addiction. This is not necessarily for a narcissist who is addicted. That's a whole separate issue and a whole other podcast for another day. It's important to understand in the very beginning where the origin of this comes from. So for both narcissists and addicts, shame is a very common denominator, and that's really where it all starts. That's the origins. In stage two of Eric Erickson's psychosocial development, which occurs between 18 months and three years old, Shame is the negative outcome. Autonomy is the positive outcome, meaning that you have the ability to handle things all on your own. So when a person feels shameful, they feel like they can't handle it and they need something to cover it up. It is a deep-rooted insecurity that exists for both narcissists and the addict. Now, not all narcissists or addicts have trauma during these years, but it usually is a fairly good indicator that you're going to find something during that time period. 
about 50% of narcissists are addicts in some sort of way because think about what addiction does. Addiction tells you that everything is okay, that everything's all right, that you are perfect, that you're not going to get addicted to a substance, and it kind of draws you in. And narcissists believe that they arrogantly believe that they can overcome any kind of addiction, including some very deadly drug addictions. So now we have the origins understanding. I also want to go to what the enablers look like because the enablers are frequently the spouses. They could be family members. They could even be co-workers to some degree. But there are frequently more than one enabler uh, in this equation. One of the enablers kinds of boosts the ego of the narcissist, and another one actually unknowingly encourages the addiction. So you got two different kinds of people going here. One that is encouraging the narcissism and the other that's encouraging the addiction. The narcissistic enabler minimizes signs of the addiction. So they will say it doesn't happen. It's not that big of a deal. They can overcome it. And they foster this feeling of superiority that, you know, they'll get over it. It's just a phase that they're going through. The addiction enabler is likewise blind to the symptoms of addiction and therefore justifies usually in financially supporting it in some way, shape, or form. Both of these people are essential to meeting the needs of the self-image and the ego that must be maintained for the narcissist. Sometimes the victim of the narcissistic abuse is, a, is the sole enabler. So there's one person that kind of does both of these things. This doesn't happen very much, but this person very naively empowers both of these behaviors to continue, and they are in massive forms of denial, even of their own selves. They have been told that the addiction is all in their minds and that, um, that they are the one to blame for it. So the narcissist will say, you're making this up, this isn't a true thing, it's all in your mind, and that I wouldn't have to drink if you would be nicer to me, if you would do what I ask you to do, if um, if you would just obey me. Sayings like this are common. Um, so other sayings like no one else sees what you are seeing. You're the crazy one. I'm not the crazy one. If only you would do, then I wouldn't have to. Those are very typical of what occurs. So now we come to the cycle of understanding what the addiction looks like. We've talked about the origins. We've talked about the enablers. Those are essential ingredients to make the narcissistic addiction thrive. Now let's look at the cycle of addiction. So the cycle of addiction is commingled with the narcissistic abuse cycle. So we talked about that before, what the narcissistic abuse cycle looks like, and it's kind of commingled with that. This it begins when the narcissist feels threatened by something. So something, in, in, for whatever reason, threatens them. Even though they seem like they're not threatened by very much, they can be on occasion. They become angry. The narcissist becomes angry. And they take their frustration out on a victim. Sensing the resistance from the victim, um, the narcissist retreats to their addiction. The drug of choice reinforces their idealistic fantasies, perception of omnipotence, and extravagant schemes. However, this frequently results in the enablers retreating from the narcissist. Now confused, the narcissist feels threatened, and the cycle repeats itself all over again. And it goes back and forth, kind of round and round in this massive cycle. So now that you understand the origins and the enablers and the cycle of addiction, let's talk about how in the world do you get somebody or help somebody to get out of something like this? 
Well, the very first step is to get a narcissist to admit to their addiction. And boy, is that a struggle. It is bad enough that an addict has to admit to it. But when you add a narcissist into the equation who doesn't want to admit that they are wrong for anything, it is very difficult to get them to do this. But it is absolutely mandatory that they acknowledge their addiction. They cannot get better. You cannot skip this step and gloss over it and pretend it doesn't exist because there is no way to handle an addiction properly unless you acknowledge the fact that it actually exists. So this is a mandatory step of all recovery, and every single recovery program requires this as the very first step. Uh, not only is the narcissist very reluctant to admit that there's a problem, but they absolutely hate it when somebody else points it out because they can't stand that somebody else is the one identifying it. So one of the best ways of handling this situation is to kind of draw the narcissist in so it's more their idea rather than your idea. That is an easier way to kind of get them to open up and recognize it. The only way for a narcissist to get better when they're in the middle of this is usually rehab because they have to go through a process of reorienting literally how they think and how they've behaved because they use the addiction often as a way of blaming others for as a way of escaping or a way to blame other people for what they're doing. And that then feeds the addiction in and of itself. So a narcissist likes to go to an elite facility. So let's just put that out there. It's got to be a really great facility that looks good, that knows how to handle narcissism, especially if there's an executive involved. It had better look like a country club. Even there, they expect certain special treatment and believe that they're above the rules. So even within a facility that might look perfect and be the best environment for them, the narcissist is going to demand that they have special rules and they might not want to attend group sessions. They'll get bored. They'll say they're trivial. Um, they sometimes become intolerant in rehab, um, often very abusive towards staff members. And instead of taking time to heal, a lot of times they look for loops in the system, look for holes so that they can complain about the inefficiencies, become single-minded about insurance costs and benefits, and they often blame others for having to be in rehab. I wouldn't have to be here if so-and-so didn't like force me into it, blah, blah, blah. So while you might be able to get a narcissist to admit to an addiction by making it think that it's their idea, the rehab process is very difficult. And in my experience, we usually have to go through several different rehabs before we finally find one that hits. This is one of those things where the first rehab usually doesn't do the work. We usually have to do um, go to another one and even another one. But around two to three times, they all of a sudden start to realize, hey, there might be something to this. Like it almost like it takes that much time in order for it to sink in. The recovery process for a narcissist is long. It is not a short time period. Now, once they actually accept that they have an addiction and they start to incorporate the ideas through rehab, their recovery can actually be fairly quick if they have fully absorbed it. If they haven't, and there's even the slightest amount of resistance, this recovery time period is just very long because the narcissist is unwilling to wait, usually, the prescribed time period to see if the recovery is even effective. So we might say, oh, you have to wait 30 or 60 days to re-engage in a relationship, and they'll be like, yeah, no, that's for everybody else, not for me. 
Instead, they expect immediate results and they expect others to fully comply with their miraculous healing. So they are healed one day, they are 100% better, and the very next day, everybody should accept it and believe it and take it as absolute truth. Unfortunately, that's not the way that addiction works because it takes time and circumstances and a lot of different behaviors for people to actually recover from all the reasons why they were engaged in their addictive behavior. Unfortunately, because the narcissist has such grandiose beliefs about themselves, they rarely learn during treatment and thus their prognosis is very poor. So even though we go through recovery about three times, they have this huge tendency to hit the very next stage during is relapse, which is really sad because they could go years, um, even 10 years at a time, and then all of a sudden they relapse. Now, it is not possible for a narcissist to recover from an addiction sometimes. And that's the sad truth because they don't want to get better. They don't believe that they need to get better. They don't even believe that the addiction is real. In fact, a lot of times they will see it as damaging to their ego, to their image, and they are able to eliminate the addiction almost instantly without any emotional consequences. However, they do return to the addictive behavior later as a way to demonstrate they ultimately have power and control over the drug of their choice. So just as I explained in the very first scenario, even though we sent my narcissistic addict to three different rehabs, he did really great in recovery for a period of time period. Then, of course, he went back to drinking um, because he's better now and he's never going to have that problem ever again. And so he just went back there. And then the whole cycle wound up repeating once again. So just because a narcissist feeds off of illusions of grandeur doesn't mean that the family support system um, needs to strengthen that belief. The key is the enabler must learn how not to enable the addict any longer. A family member can be very supportive while having reasonable expectations um, for the narcissist's prognosis. It is far more loving to accept someone within their own limitations than to insist they become someone who they are not. And sadly, this is frequently a case where we have to accept that they might not ever get better. Thanks for listening to Understanding Today's Narcissist with Christine Hammond. Brought to you in part by PsychCentral.com. For more information, visit GrowWithChristine.com. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.